Welcome to the Vintage Grace Sunday Podcast. We hope our series on the book of Revelation will challenge and encourage you to grow closer to God and recognize that He wins. Let this message be a reminder to you of His love for you and the plan that He has for your life. Hello, everybody. Some of you guys remember me, uh, but since Drew said half of you guys are new, apparently, um, I'm Chris, and um, I am a member of One Church Sacramento. It's always good to be back with my family here at Vintage Grace. As some of you guys heard, yes, uh, we were Hope Church. Uh, We're now One Church because we merged and created uh, a very unique name. We were two churches, now we're one, so now we're one church. Super creative, I know. So, um, um, and it was interesting because I was talking to uh, some uh, people from the other church that we merged with, and I was like, yeah, I get the opportunity to preach at one of our sister churches. And they were like, what? We, we have a sister church? How, how do we have a sister church? And I'm like, okay, when a mommy church and a daddy church love each other. <laughs> no, um, no, uh, I was telling them, like, yo, like, this church... You guys prayed for us. You guys supported us financially. You guys were with us. Thank you so much for for how you continue to do that um, uh, for us. And again, I just love you guys. I love this opportunity. You can ask Drew. Drew texted me and was like, hey, man, do you want to, you know, come? And before he even hit send on the text, I was like, yes, 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 yes. So um, you guys are family and I am honored uh, to be here and... Before I go on, I just wanted to take a moment and give honor to my guy, Drew. Drew, thank you. I know I'm not telling you guys something that you don't know. He's an awesome, amazing man of God. You guys have an amazing pastor. Continue to pray for him, support him, take care of him. Uh, He is a guy whose passion runs really hot. As you guys know, he talks really, really fast. And anytime that you're with him, I don't know if you guys like hang out with him or whatever, but he makes you like kind of nervous and jumpy and stuff. But... (laughs) That's his passion, man. I love that dude. So Drew, thank you. Um, Yes, please. Drew, thank you. And from my family at at One Church Sacramento, uh, we want to thank Drew and this whole team again. And uh, I also want to thank whoever was the team that invited me to speak early in this series and not later in this series when we get to beasts and dragons and elves and gold. I don't know if that's Lord of the Rings or Revelation. All I know is I get to speak at the beginning of this thing where it is the church. So I was like, Drew, I got you, bro. I can handle the church part, not the six wing flying things. So I'll let you professional pastors handle that and I will handle this stuff. Um, but you guys, I love that we have a living hope because of Jesus. Um, I love that uh, we get to hear these words as a church, especially today when we see so many things that are happening. Um, I was just telling a friend of mine, I, so I was born in 1977. I know I probably look like it's 2007, thank you very much. But I was born in 1977. And up until a few years ago, I've only had to you know, deal with, you know, couple of things, Katrina and, and, and uh, you know, 9-11, stuff like that. But dude, over these last few years, yeah, nine, uh, we've had COVID, racial unrest, uh, natural disasters, and now Russia and Ukraine. It's, it's, it's crazy, right? It's, it's almost like it's not real, but we wake up and it is. And 
if we don't think that it's real, all you got to do is pass by a gas station. And you're like, what is happening? Six, it's over $6 a gallon, right? Right? Is that right? I'm like, I drive a Tesla. So that, that, that's like a, a, a gas car problem. It's not my problem. Sorry, I don't mean to humble brag there. But apparently it's over $6 now? That's wild. Um, if I did drive a gas car, I'd be like, Drew, do you guys do pickup service? or <laughs> Yeah. Um, but thankfully... Again, we do have Jesus, and because he is alive and we serve a good, good father, we do have a living hope. And even when things around us seem very chaotic and that it can seem like he fell asleep at the wheel, he continues to show himself faithful. So hallelujah for that. Now, um, let's open up here. If you guys do have your Bibles or if you want to look on the screen here, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And as we get started, I want you guys to hear how they are describing Jesus, right? Right off the top. They want us to know who is in charge, right? So starting in verse 1, and to the angel, that just basically means the messenger or the pastor of the church in Sardis, right? The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's authority, right? I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they, are, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So during the pandemic, all of us got hit pretty hard in a number of different ways, but the church took a major hit as well. I'm super grateful for a technology that allowed for churches to stay connected over Zoom, but for our family, that did create some problems. This is my family here. Um, and so like many of, of you, they were, they were forced to learn from home. And so that meant that they were on their computers every day from eight-ish, around 2.30. Um, and so having to sit on Zoom again for church uh, became more of a chore than anything else. And one Sunday, I noticed my 14-year-old there, his name is Trey, he was sitting in, but I could tell that he was doing everything else besides paying attention. And that really hit me kind of hard. So I called him into my room and I said, hey, I just want to have a talk with you. You're not in trouble. Just want to talk to you. Uh, I said, I want you to be honest with me. Just level with me. How, where are you with Christianity, with God, with faith, and with all of it? Now, keep in mind, I'm an elder at my church. I, I've been preaching for over 20 years. So you guys know how it is, you know, in preachers' families, right? We're, all our kids are supposed to be saved and holy and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but it's weird that you get up on a stage and you, and you preach to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and hear a door down from me was a child in my own home that was admitting to me, honestly, not feeling it. I don't know where I am with God. I don't really get any of this. And it was him telling me he was just doing this because his mom and I made him do it. 
Now, listen, I was very thankful for that, um, that he was honest enough to tell me that. But I mean, as a parent, obviously I was hurt. I mean, for Christian parents, right? We got one job, right? Get our children to Christ. So to hear it made me evaluate a lot of things. And looking back on it, I'm very grateful to God because it led me to a realization that changed the trajectory of my own ministry and our youth ministry at the church that I serve. I realized in that moment that I personally had taken a backseat in my child's faith journey. And I just kind of thought, well, because I'm saved and his mom is saved and we've made a decision to follow Jesus, that he would too, based on what he saw. But I was shown and told in that moment that they, that may not be true. Now, remember, I said that I am grateful and here's why because it caused me to make a much bigger investment in my child's life when it comes to their faith journeys. Again, so I have 14, I have nine, and I have seven. And the fact is, while a lot of Christianity is caught, okay, meaning kids, they do respond by what they see, and a good number continue going to church even after they no longer live with their parents, it must also be very intentionally and directly taught over, over a series of conversations and times. And there must be a lot of prayer. And we have to allow the people, whether that's your children, your neighbors, your coworkers, whatever, we have to give them time to work out their faith. Now, I know this is the service that the teens come to. Is that, is that right? Right? This is right. They don't have. A, okay. Yeah. Um, so um, I want you guys to listen to me and definitely pay attention to this next slide. Faith is a personal decision that all of us must make. If you don't take anything else that I take and you're on Facebook or whatever, pay attention to what I just said. Okay. Now, I teach our kids at one church that faith doesn't work the same way as being on your parents' benefits. Let me explain, okay? If my son gets hurt and has to go to the hospital, he's able to get help through Kaiser because of my plan, right? That's how health insurance works. Salvation don't work like that, okay? He's not covered under my plan. I want to say this very clearly. Jesus Christ commands every person, repent and believe the gospel. Now, knowing that and understanding that, that should definitely light a fire in all of us to let all of us know, regardless of age, what Jesus Christ has said. Now, you may be asking, okay, okay, great, Chris. I'm so glad that you gave us that dissertation, but what does all this have to do with Revelation? Well, this church in Sardis had a faith problem. Let's take a look at it. Jesus says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Okay. So here is both the problem and the security that we have in Christ. Jesus knows our works, full stop. He knows them. That means that for those that are faking it, or thinking that going to church or doing Christian activities means that you are saved, we need to think again, okay? Uh, just like going 
in a garage doesn't make you a car. Um, Coming to a building doesn't make you a believer. But as a matter of fact, being a Christian actually doesn't start with behavior. It starts with believing. It starts with believing, which then leads to an affections change. And then once your affections change, that is when your behavior changes. You guys know John 3:16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Did you guys notice that in that verse, it doesn't say whoever behaves themselves? You guys catch that? It's belief that matters, which is faith, faith. Hebrews 11 teaches us this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It goes on to say that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You guys know what the Greek word for impossible is? It means not possible, okay? All right? I know, I'm heck of deep, right? <laughs> okay, not possible without faith. But faith in what, right? Because we can, we can say, okay, I have, I have faith. And a bunch of people say, I, 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 got, I got faith, I believe, whatever. The scripture goes on to tell us, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, okay? And that he rewards those that seek him. So what we really need to understand, okay? Because this is the big thing that we need to get is what happens at the moment of salvation. Because it's not merely just a, well, I went to church, I heard a sermon, it scared me, so let me get some hell insurance, okay? The Bible teaches us that salvation starts with God's work. And what happens when God starts to work is that God invades, God conquers. He does a supernatural work on our entire being. Ephesians 2 says this. Ephesians 2 starts out and says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead, not sick, not, "Eh, I think I'm doing kind of okay, but no, dead. Now, question, what can a dead person do? Nothing, right? So you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then we get two of the greatest words in the whole Bible. It says, but God. But God, he shows up and then he invaded, he conquered. And what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. And then it tells us something that's so sweet. It says, by grace, by grace, nothing that you have done. By grace, you have been saved. You have been rescued. You have been brought from death to life, from darkness to light. You once were blind, but now you see. And guess who did that? God did that. God did that. God did the work for that. And that work, you guys, is a real work. It's the work that gets us to say no to sin and yes to him. It's believing, this is what faith is, it's believing in his finished work on our behalf. And it has us saying what we see in Galatians 2. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. So guess what? It is no longer I who live. But Christ, he is living in me. And now the life that I live, I live in flesh. I live by what? Faith. Yes, in the son of God who loved me. Don't miss that, you guys. Who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how we know of Christ's love. So once we get that, once we get that, now it's all about surrender. 
We're surrendering our everything to him. And from that work, as James teaches us, comes a natural outworking, right? Because if it's a real work, it has to do something. And so the natural outworking is, I have a new mind. I have a new heart. And what happens is, is that now we love God. Now we love to obey God. You guys know what it, what it, uh, what it feels like to be in love, right? Teens, chill out, okay? <laughs> Adults, okay? Um, you guys know what it feels like to be in love, right? Right? It's once you are in love, nobody has to guilt you into doing anything. Why? Because your affections have been changed. You now have an affection change. You don't have to guilt me into loving my wife because my affections towards her have changed. I once heard a story of a woman that was married to a very mean man. He was very demanding and and he gave her a list of things to do every day. And if it wasn't done, he would berate her and treat her very poorly. Well, one day that man died and a little while after she married a very kind and affirming man. One day, As she was doing her cleaning, she found that list that her old husband gave to her. (laughs) And she started laughing. See, she was still doing everything that was on the list, but now she wasn't doing it out of duty. She was doing it because she loved him. That's an affection change, right? And so what we have to know is what 2 Corinthians 5.14 teaches us. It says, the love of Christ controls me. It's his love for me that, that has now awakened my obedience. I don't wake up and go, oh, what do you want me to do today, God? No, 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 no. It's because I love him. I love to worship him. I, my devotion is to him. I look forward to, to spending time with him every day. Do you guys see that? It's love, right? But Jesus says, listen, listen, I know your works, Okay. You cannot fool me. And you want to know the scary thing is, look at what we're told in verse one. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. The reputation, uh, uh, like how scary is that? Thinking that all of your activity that you're doing is actually leading or counting for something and instead it's nothing. That's what a reputation is, right? They had other people fooled. They may be, listen, listen, teens, you may be even fooling yourself, but not him, okay? It's, it's like that movie, The Sixth Sense. You guys ever watched that movie, The Sixth Sense? Um, if you haven't, I'm gonna spoil it, but it came out in 1999, so is that still a spoiler? No, oh, all right, good, 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 good. Okay, so the whole time, you're watching this movie and you see uh, uh, Bruce Willis's character and you're thinking that he is alive, but at the end you find out that he's been dead the entire time. How scary would it be for you to live your entire life thinking that you are alive and come to the end of your days and realize, I never was alive. I've been dead the entire time. And we hear the scariest four words in the Bible. I never knew you. But listen, because here is the beautiful thing, you guys. None of us need uh, to fret this morning because these letters were written as a grace. You know what this shows us? It shows us that it's not too late. John wrote this letter to this church saying, you're dead, but I got good news. There is a God that specializes in bringing dead things back to life. (laughs) 
Can I get a witness on that? We serve a God that we could testify. He walks into dead situations and he says, live, and they do. That is the God that we serve. And so I have no idea who it is that I am, who I'm speaking to today. But if you are here and you're thinking that you're in a dead situation and this looks like the end, as long as there is breath in your lungs, as long as there is a God that is in heaven, you need to know it's not over. It is not over over and God brought you here today so that you would hear these words and recognize he is the author, the Bible teaches. He is the author and he's the, the perfecter of our faith. See, when I think about him being the author, see, I do a little bit of writing. I'm not like on uh, Amazon or anything, but I do a little bit of writing and I started to write a book. And the beautiful thing is that, that since I'm the writer, I get to control what happens to every single character that is in this book. And so if I know that it's the end of their story, I can write it like that. But since I'm also the author, I can also write that their story has not ended because I am the author of this story. That is the God that we serve. Our God is saying, I'm writing this story. And you still have the opportunity. It is not too late. We know that, right? Because verse two says it this way. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Listen to that author. Listen to our loving and patient father. That wake up is such a grace. I loved reading that it's more accurately translated, become alert. Now, if you don't read this carefully enough, it can sound like bootstrap religion. You guys know what bootstrap religion is? It's where you hear a command, then you dig deep within yourself and do works thinking that it will make you right with God. Well, there's a couple word, there's a couple names for that. One is called morality and the other one is called legalism, but that's not what's being taught here. Let me show it to you this way. First, we see the command, wake up and strengthen what remains. God said it, so we now must do it. Here is the warning, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Okay, God, so if I'm supposed to do it, how? How am I supposed to do this? But, he, but what he is saying to us is not by tightening up our boots, but it's by remembering what you have received and heard. Keep that and repent. So remembering what? Well, what they received was the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ came to save and rescue and change us by his grace. This goes all the way back to faith. Here is where as a church, we must be careful because what can happen is we can, we can begin with the gospel and we can teach people about God's great work for us, how it's not about our works, but it's Christ's works that get us in and keeps us in. We can teach people how Christianity is not a ladder where you're, where you're, you're, climb, you're uh, climbing up to God and every good work that you do makes you uh, closer and closer to God. But every time that you do a sin, then you get knocked back down the ladder. But even if Christianity were a ladder, God is not at the top saying, do more, try harder and be better. He's at the bottom of the ladder saying, it is finished. Get off of the ladder. That is Christianity, right? Okay. So we can begin with that, but then we think, you know, okay, we heard it. We kind of got it. So then we think we have to graduate from the gospel and start preaching other things to try to get people to obey. But the thing is, you never graduate from the gospel. The gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. And then we get into other things. It's the A to Z's 
of Christianity. Family, we never move on from the gospel. We keep reminding people it is Christ's work. It is Christ's work. He's doing a work in you. It is God's story. And we say, as Romans 5 tells us, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. You guys see that word justified? That is a big word that you need to know. Justified means to be declared righteous. Now, this is a big deal because you know you ain't righteous. Okay. I know you look good, but you know you ain't righteous. But the beautiful thing is, since we have been declared righteous, by what? Faith. And because of that, we now have peace with God. The war is over, you guys. We have peace with God because, we, because we've been justified, declared righteous through Jesus Christ. So we strengthen by remembering. That is why we must preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. And I don't mean that figuratively. I mean, you wake up and preach the gospel to yourself every single day. It's almost like that movie. Uh, I know another movie reference. It's almost like that movie, 50 First Dates. You guys seen 50 First Dates, right? Wow, okay. Everybody love 50 First Dates. All right, cool. Um, um, where Drew Barrymore's character, she, she, uh, she lives a day and then she goes to sleep and then she wakes up the next day and she's forgotten everything. And so Adam Sandler's character is after, and so he has to remind her every single day how much he's for her, how much he loves her, all that. Well, every day like that, we wake up every morning with an identity crisis. We forget that we are loved and we have to be reminded every day. God, God uh, gets us every single day and he reminds us of his great love and his commitment towards us. We sometimes forget that though we are great sinners, we have an even greater savior. And now we have a new identity. That's the beauty of it. So John says, check this. John says, remember that, keep that, and then repent, repent. Question, what does the Bible teach us that leads us to repent? Because we hear that word repent a lot and we're like, okay, well, but what's gonna get us there? So what is, is it, is it fear, is it guilt? Is it punishment? Romans 2, 4 teaches us that it is the kindness of God, the kindness of God that leads us to repent. Okay, so then what does it mean to repent? Well, it's a two-step process. Though many times we hear it as one. We hear repent means to change your mind, and that is true, or to turn from sin, and that is true. But what is the second part? This is the important one. Because you can change your mind and you can turn from stuff, but then like you could turn to something that's not even biblical or right at all, but you're changing your mind. So the point is to change your mind or to turn from sin, but then turn to Jesus. Hebrews says it like this, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, looking to Jesus. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, at the end of verse three, it says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour that I will come against you. Listen, every week, that's 52 weeks out of the year, God has called men and women to reprove, to rebuke and exhort through the word of God. Now, I like this quote by Spurgeon, which says this, it says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. 
If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. A few years ago, uh, I was pretty cool uh, with a coworker um, and expectantly, unfortunately, he died. And I went to his funeral and there was one thing that kept bothering me. We talked about sports, we talked about movies, talked about TV shows, talked about life, we talked about families. Never talked about faith. Never talked to him about Jesus. Never talked to him about heaven or hell or anything like that. And that, that really bothered me. So I went and I wrote every member of my family a letter, okay? For you teens, a letter is where you get a piece of paper and then you uh, get an envelope and then you put it in the envelope, put a stamp on it and mail it, okay? This is for email, okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I wrote every one of them a letter and I, and I told them about the gospel and I, I warned them all to flee from the wrath to come and to put faith in Jesus Christ because I never wanted to go to another funeral and feel that way. It was awkward. It was a little weird. Um, but if I believe what this book says about heaven and hell and how it tells us that Jesus is the only way, then I knew I had to do something. I, I knew I had to say something. Now, look, I would love to say after I did that, a major revival happened in my family. But I think of maybe like the 15 or so letters that I sent. I, I probably only got a couple of responses, but that wasn't the point. See, God has given us all, not just the pastors, not just the evangelists, the responsibility of letting the, letting the world know that there's only one way to heaven. It has nothing to do with being a good person. It is only through the acceptance of Jesus Christ. And we, as Drew, man, I love how, I love that. I want a scent shirt, by the way. I, I, I love how he gets up here and he teaches you guys that we guys are the pastors. Because Drew doesn't work where you work. He doesn't live where you live, but you guys do. And so God has called you to be the seed planters, you to go out and water where somebody else has planted. But guess what? Nowhere in this book are you guys called to convert people. So relax. It's not up to you. If they reject what you're saying, they're not rejecting you. But it is still our responsibility to go out and just plant seeds, keep planting seeds. Someone else is going to come water, but God alone is going to give the increase. Now understand this. God does not desire that any should perish, but we hear the Lord Jesus talking about separating the sheep, sheep from the goats. He warns not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. He warns after giving us such great security in John three sixteen and 17. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And so here he says, wake up. Hear that alarm, strengthen what remains and repent because you don't know when I'll be back against you. Did you guys hear that? I'll be back against you? Listen, I don't know if you uh, have ever been in a situation where you've had people ag against you. And I know how annoying that that can be, but can you imagine the God of heaven saying that, that I will come back against you? Now understand, once again, this is not about hell insurance. 
This is about surrender. This is about faith. It's about crying out to God and asking him to save you. And it's about a great exchange. Here is the exchange. Lord, here's my heart. Here are my affections. Here is my mind. Here's my body. Here's my will. It's yours. And in exchange, God gives you the perfect record of his only begotten son. And he will also give you new desires. Desires that will seem so foreign to your natural thought and what the culture thinks that you should be doing. You'll have no other explanation to be like, that is from God. That's crazy. One of the, like, I love what Drew just talked about when he said, you know, instead of going to Hawaii, let's instead go to Haiti. That is not natural, (laughs) right? But when our affections change, it is because we recognize that we are everyday missionaries, right? That we're going and we know that no matter where we go, that we are the sent ones, that God has chosen us to do that um, for him because we love him. So here's where we will end. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never, you guys hear that? I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Okay, so here is something that I want to leave you guys with. One thing that we must never, ever, ever, ever be accused about is God will always win. He wins. In every situation, no matter how dire it looks, God wins. And he is never without a witness as we have have just heard. Now we hear this all over the Bible, right? Going all the way back to Noah destroying the earth, God saved one. When uh, uh, he used one man, Joseph, to rescue his people, he used Moses and Aaron to do the same. And when Eliza cried out to God, he's like, God, I'm all alone. God's like, dude, I got 7,000 people who have not bowed their knee. I win. Okay. God is showing this pastor, while there are many that need to repent, there's still a few that I've trusted in my son. They have been clothed in white. That means they have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ, not their own works. Now, the worthy ones, the ones who conquer, who are clothed in white, whose names are never blotted out and who, will, and who Christ will confess are, listen, they're not the ones who obeyed the best, nor are they the ones that did the most works. That's a common teaching in some Christian circles, but sadly, they've got it mixed up. Those people are those that have accepted Christ as Savior, have trusted in his finished work, and are a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, some of you who are paying attention may be saying, hold up, Chris. Do you have short-term memory loss? You just said it's not the ones that obeyed the best or did the most works. Okay, first of all, I do have some memory issues. That was not very nice. But the second thing is this. The difference is one trusted in their obedience and their works. The others trusted in Christ and his obedience and his works. Do you see the difference? Those that trust in Christ 
those names will never be blotted out of the book of life because it's Christ's righteousness and his works that are accepted by the Father. Now, you may be thinking, okay, so does that mean that our good works don't mean anything? Of course not. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The thing is though, as salt and light, we shine so that people see our good works, but give glory to the Father, right? So look, uh, sorry, I'm gonna call the worship team back up. Um, This church was in a lot of trouble, but notice again that it wasn't over. And what we need to know as a church today is to listen to this warning. Take a moment and examine our own hearts individually. Ask yourself, where are you individually with God? Then ask where we are as the church, as the church, as vintage grace, where are we as a church? And then globally as the body of Christ. Because these warnings were not given to make us feel guilty. They were given so that we would have a real and true encounter with the living God because a dead faith is no faith at all. Now listen, there are many who maybe have come to this church for, again, months, years, or maybe this is your first time coming in. You're hearing about this wonderful Jesus, but you've never actually accepted him. And maybe you started coming to this church and you're like, you know what? They got some cool people. They got some cool programs. Uh, you know, they got a cool youth department. They're, they're doing good things, but you've never even personally accepted Christ. Well, today is your day. God has called you here today so that you, my friend, would make this personal decision to say, yes, I will accept you as Lord. I will accept you as Savior. I will follow you. I will surrender to your ways. And if that is you, you do not need to come forward. You can make the decision right there in your seat. You can turn to the person that maybe brought you or even a neighbor and say, you know, I want to make this decision right now. You can grab a connect card and write on there and say, I made a decision today. And this church will celebrate with you. There might be uh, pastors that you see walking around campus and you may say, you know, I want to learn more about this Jesus. Today is your day. Right after this, we're going to have baptism. I love baptisms because baptisms show it's a public profession that I have made a decision to follow Christ. And what you find when you get baptized is you have a whole body that is clapping with you and crying with you. And they're saying, welcome to the family. That is what we want for you. If that is you today, today is your day. But understand Listen to the warnings that we were given today and do not walk out of here today not accepting Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you today for your word. I thank you so much for these people. I thank you for this church. I thank you, God, that through your word that you have given us so many assurances, you've given us warnings. 
but you've also shown us how much that you love us. I pray everybody that's under the sound of my voice that if they have not made a personal decision to follow you, that you would uh, uh, invade their heart, get them to uh, make that decision to follow you. And for those that have and maybe might be going through a rough season, I pray that you would comfort them today through your word, send good people into their life so that uh, maybe their faith journey was derailed a little bit. Maybe today is, is their first day back. I thank you, God, that you prompted them to come, and I pray that you would continue to strengthen them. We love you, God. Thank you so much for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our Revelation series. As you go this week, be comforted by the knowledge that God is in control and he desires nothing more than for you to find full and complete joy in him. See you next week.